Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. His, his, his honors are quite, quite staggering, and I'm going to have him talk about, for the first minute or so, uh, where all he has served. Reed Rubenstein is with us. He's with America First Legal, and you're going to find out in a minute why that's extremely important and valuable to you. He served in the Trump administration in a number of positions. He is a practicing Jew. We welcome him as our wonderful friend on this particular program. As he talks about, I think you need to spread the word uh, when you hear what he's going to talk about. Uh, students' rights, pupils' rights, parents' rights, actually, to know what their kids are being taught, a law from the Reagan era in 1974 that I never even knew about until I met this man. Reed, we so welcome you. And can you take just the first, let's just start, first of all, what were your positions in the Trump administration? You've held, I think, at least three significant positions, if I'm not mistaken, in years in government. What are those? And welcome. Well, first of all, thank you. It is such an honor for me to be able to join you, Jim, and, and the wonderful people uh, on this call. Uh, the work that, that you do and that, that everybody here is doing is so critical to the future of our nation. And you know, so anyway, I'm so grateful and, and blessed and honored to be uh, here with you tonight. I did have a number of roles in the Trump administration. Um, I had uh, worked on the campaign um, pretty much throughout uh, and was there during the transition working on a number of issues. And uh, the beginning of the administration, I was sent to the Department of Treasury to do a variety of things to help prepare the ground, so to speak, for the incoming uh, administration and also to work on a couple of issues primarily related to uh, terrorism, terror financing and Iran. Um, I then spent a short period of time at the uh, Department of Agriculture working, helped them with some uh, regulatory issues and, and uh, congressional relations issues and, and uh, helping prepare a young fellow there, get him ready for his confirmation hearings, which went you know, very well. And then I was at the Department of Justice for about 18 months. And I was there during a very unusual time. Um, my, my tenure at at the department spanned all three of the Trump era attorney generals. Um, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Sessions, uh, acting Attorney General uh, Whitaker and Attorney General Barr. Uh, I was there during the height of the Mueller uh, investigation uh, and the whole Russia, Russia hoax. And it was a hoax. Um, I was, I was lucky in the sense that um, I never had to hire a lawyer or sit down with, with Mr. Mueller or his prosecutors about my role during the campaign. Uh, but it's something certainly we were paying attention to. And, and, and while I was there, I, I had occasion to work with um, some tremendous professionals uh, and to see some just frankly horrifying abuses of our laws uh, and, and frankly, of our constitution as well by, by folks that honestly, we never would have thought uh, would pose such a risk. We learned quite, a, we learned a tremendous amount and we are still learning. Just today, uh, uh, Special Counsel Durham came out with, with more information and, and the more we learn, the, the worse it gets, unfortunately. Um, 
early on into Attorney General Barr's tenure, I was asked or uh, requested to go to the Department of Education uh, to serve as the general counsel there. I was asked to go there not because I had a tremendous background in education law, I didn't, uh, but because there were other things that needed doing and, and um, I was had the skill sets necessary to do them. One of our, one of our very major initiatives that, that we started there was our uh, focus on foreign money in U.S. college campuses. Um, again, this is an area not unlike the, the student rights bill we'll talk about in a moment, where laws have been on the books for 40 years, but nobody had ever done anything about them because uh, the amount of money involved and because uh, of the political influence of, of colleges and universities. Um, but we had, the in the Trump administration, we had a, a government-wide initiative to deal with the risk posed by uh, Communist China and the, and the uh, Chinese Communist Party. And one large aspect of that was trying to understand how and to what extent uh, their money and their, their talent had, had affected um, uh, our, our strategic, our national research and, and, and infiltrated, frankly, our university system. So I was sent there to do that. I was also sent there to spat with Congress a bit um, because uh, our, our management, our leadership, Secretary Betsy DeVos had, um, was being troubled by some folks in Congress. So um, that's why they sent me there. But you know, as things have a way of working out, so it did. I, I had the opportunity in that position to learn a tremendous amount about what's going on in America's public schools. And what I found was frankly alarming. Um, we, in, inside the office of the general counsel, we had a tremendously talented group of political appointees. And uh, one day, one of them came to me and said that she had, uh, been given a complaint by some parents in North Carolina at a very good public high school outside of Charlotte. And the complaint basically was that in a 10th grade honors English class, the teacher asked the students to go through this self-identification process with respect to their sexual preferences and sexual identity. And when she mentioned this to me, honestly, I, I, I didn't believe it. it. It just sounded incomprehensible that this sort of thing would go on in a 10th grade honors English class. But the parents sent in documents and we looked at them and it was, um, it, it was quite an eye opener. We then began looking around for legal remedies to try and, and help the parents and, and Inside the Department of Education was a little section that dealt with something called the Protection of Pupil's Rights Amendment. And as you said, this is a law that dates back in its, in its initial iteration to the 1970s. Uh, in its current form, essentially, it was codified during the Reagan administration. And the idea from, from the jump was to allow parents the opportunity, first of all, to see what their, their ch children were being taught. And second of all, to have the opportunity, if the parent objected, to pull the child out of the classes. 
at the time that this was this was kicking through Congress, it was actually reasonably controversial. Uh, parents groups had been pushing for this because already in the public school system during the late 1970s and early 1980s, uh, there were some things going on that, that frankly shouldn't have been. They were a shadow of what goes on today, but nonetheless, at the time, they seemed uh, quite remarkable. So parents wanted the opportunity to be able to see again, as I said, what the kids were being taught, uh, to be able to go in to uh, the principal or the teacher and say, I want to see the lesson plans or I want to see the curriculum material. Um, and the notion was that the school would have to turn it over uh, so that the parents' rights to, would be respected. And one thing, I'm going to digress for just a moment. Um, according to the US Supreme Court, perhaps the most fundamental of all of the uh, what the court calls liberty interests, that is to say unenumerated rights under the constitution that the courts have recognized going back well into the 18th century is the right of parents to control the upbringing and education of their children. This is not even a question. So the notion that parents have the right to see what their children are being taught historically was not at all exceptional. It's only recently that that's become an issue. As I said, 1980s, this bill is passed, and for the most part, it's promptly uh, forgotten or ignored. Most parents had no idea that this existed. Um, after we were presented with this complaint uh, from North Carolina, we moved as, as quickly and as forcefully as we could to publicize the existence of this law and to put into place an effective enforcement mechanism. The way it's set up, uh, if, if parents are dissatisfied with the response of a school district, the parents file a complaint with the Department of Education. The Department of Education is supposed to investigate, and then either the situation is remediated or potentially the school loses its federal funding. We ran out of time to be able to implement everything that we wanted to do. Um, the election or uh, happened uh, and everybody knows the story. And so on, on, we were working up until really the uh, 11th hour on January 20th, 2021. Uh, but then we were out the door. Before we left, we were able to put into place a guidance document, which you can still find on the Department of Education website and a uh, complaint form. Believe it or not, the Department of Education, which has been doing pretty much everything online for 20 years, did not do parent complaints online. If you were a parent, you wanted to complain. Either you had to fax to a number that was monitored occasionally, or you had to mail in a complaint, at which point your complaint would be taken, uh, put on somebody's desk, and, and in most cases, left there. Uh, we came out of the government, though, very, very much convinced that, that this tool had to be more widely publicized. Uh, Stephen Miller, Leadership of America, uh, First Legal Foundation, uh, thankfully agreed. And so we've made this a very important part of our work. Uh, America First Legal is representing parents around the country in pushing back against 
frankly, the indoctrination of their children. We've filed complaints with the United States Department of Justice. We've worked with parent groups from California to Alabama to Pennsylvania, helping parents get information, find out what's going on in their children's schools, and begin to push back against uh, a very well-funded, very well-organized, and very deeply entrenched uh, set of, of bureaucrats and, and teacher unions who, who really believe, they believe deep down into their soul that um, children belong to them. Children's minds belong to them. And that a lot of what parents teach their children has to be unlearned, untaught. Um, and you know, don't take my word for it. Spend a little bit of time going to the website, for example, the National Education Association, and, and read carefully, read carefully what they say and what they link to. Um, and you'll see for yourself. They have an agenda. They have a view of what is appropriate for children to learn and not learn. Uh, this agenda is widely shared in certain circles. We see it with Disney, for example, most recently. Um, and so on issues of race, critical race theory is the label that, that folks are familiar with. And, and, and it is being taught, no matter what they tell you. And on matters of, of human sexuality, psychosexual behaviors and, and, and how children, quote, identify, um, they are, they are pushing their agenda. And if a parent stands up, all too often the parents are vilified. Um, and that's where we come in. First, America First Legal exists in part to support parents, to, to arm them with knowledge, uh, to give them top cover, so to speak, so that if a school board refuses to listen to a parent or if uh, parents are being harassed, uh, which has happened in, in places like Austin, Texas, and California, again, as I mentioned. Um, we, we are there to try and, and help to the extent we can and, and protect parents and provide um, some useful defense. The website, you know, I encourage you to go to our website. There, there is there a, a downloadable toolkit that lays out the nuts and bolts of the, of the pupils' rights law, parents' rights law, really. And it explains in, in kind of step-by-step -step detail how you go about filing the complaint, how you file a demand uh, to get information from schools, uh, what information you're entitled to see, and what sort of information uh, that, that the schools are pushing on your children is, is subject to the law and, and is the sort of thing for which a parent has uh, decision rights. Your child does not have to submit to uh, lessons based on critical race theory that's, that, that teach them that, that the color of their skin dictates uh, the, the nature of their character. Nor does your child have to, have to uh, sit and learn about the, the, the gender unicorn or the notion that there is no such thing as, as biological sex or to the extent that there is that's different than gender and you can identify as whatever you want, even if that means as it happened, for example, in Virginia, you had uh, uh, teenage boys using 
uh, girls' restrooms, and, and fortunately, in one case, you had a couple of sexual assaults. Uh, parents do not have to put up with that. Uh, and, and I think folks across the country are realizing that waking up, and, and we are, you know, frankly honored and, and blessed to be able to be a part of the pushback to protect parents' rights and to protect American children. Uh, in our view, this, this is the defining issue of our time. Um, we have to put a flag on the ground on this. And, and, and as somebody who's been part of um, the conservative legal world for longer than I want to admit, uh, you know, we've watched over decades as, as firmly held beliefs sort of washed, got washed away like sand. And always we were told, well, okay, we, we, we know we're not going to fight. We're not going to, we're not going to die on this hill. It'll be the next one or the next one. And look, occasionally we win a good religious liberty case, but you know, the culture is the culture and, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, actually there's a lot we can do about it. Uh, but honestly, we felt in the Department of Education in our office and, and we feel at, at America First Legal, I think it's fair to say that this issue, that what's being taught to our children is the hill that we have to make a stand on because this is our future. What happens to our children is our future. And it's the parents' rights. It's, it's not the rights of the NEA or of the education colleges that, that turn out these, these ideological cadres um, uh, to, frankly, indoctrinate. It's not their right to tell our children what to think. It's their obligation to teach them math, science, English. But the moral instruction is the parents. And we have to we have to take that hill back. We have to we have to we have to fight back, and, and that's what we're doing. The I have four adopted children, and then when I married Rosemary, after my first wife died, we had four more, so eight children, and we were involved in everything from public school to private school to Christian school to homeschooling. It was called uh, non-public placement. So I've been involved in all. But at one point, uh, one of my my children. Um, who's last uh, classified as special needs, we, uh, we want, they suggested we have counseling for him. I said, fine, that'll be great. Let's do that. This was a public school. I uh, says, uh, what time is it going to be? And who is it with? I want to know. And I'll be there. And they said, well, no, no, you can't go to it. I said, almost assuredly, I'm going to go to it. If my son's going to be counseled by some stranger, I will be present. They says, well, no, we don't do it that way. I said, well, we do it that way. And I will be present if my son's going to be counseled. They said, well, you can't be. I said, then my son won't be counseled by a stranger who I've never met, who I do not know what he or she's going to say to my son. That is not your option. I said, let me ask you a question. Who does the child belong to, the parent or the state? Now, at this point, the person was very squeamish. We were, we were, in, a, we were in a meeting. This wasn't over the phone. This was a meeting face-to-face. -face. They got very squeamish. They said, well, 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 they didn't want to say state. They said, okay, um, parent. I said, no, you're wrong. They looked kind of relieved. I said, the child belongs to God, not to the state and not to the parent, but God has assigned the parent to have oversight of that child from the point until the time that they are an adult and can function as an adult fully. I would take a bullet for my child and you or whoever's going to counsel him would not. So there will be no counseling session if I'm not present. They said, well, there'll be no counseling session. And there wasn't. Now that key issue, that's the core. I wrote it down when you said, Reed, you said a moment ago, they really believe, this is your phrasing, they really believe deeply down in their, in their souls, the children belong to them. 
That is the core of what we're saying. So I, I want to encourage people to do follow up what you said. You encourage everybody to go to the NEA website, National Education Association, which I thought was a noble organization when I went to their first meeting in New Jersey when my wife, I was a graduate student, my wife was teaching public school. We went to the big national convention. Eric Severide, the famous commentator, was the speaker sure. at Atlantic City. I was so excited. And when I heard what I heard there, with my, we, we couldn't believe this was not an organization of teachers who loved students. And that was clear back in the late 70s when I was a grad student. So I, I want to encourage everybody to follow up what he said. Go to the NEA website and read the nuances of language. Then I've looked at your toolkit on your website, and it's quite phenomenal. I'd like you to walk it through a little bit more. What's in that toolkit? Uh, tell me, say the website one more time, because I'm convinced I started to say 100%, but I better not. 99.99999% of parents do not know about this law, and they do not know the tools that are available to them. So talk to us about your website and walk us through the toolkit a little bit. Sure. The website, our website is, is www.aflegal.org. Aflegal, one word, dot org. And there's a page, we have a landing page for um, our, our pupils' rights amendment uh, material. Uh, there's a downloadable PDF, which um, I would urge people to take a look at that walks through, uh, lays out kind of what the problems is and, and are, I should say. And, and it, it identifies kind of entry points for parents uh, so that you can understand really what your rights are in, in a given situation. Uh, the PPRA applies to, to uh, it kicks in, I should say, when, when schools start asking about basically three things. One, uh, political beliefs or affiliations, or they're teaching in, in, in ways that are designed to cast dispersions on the political beliefs or affiliations of, of the child or parents or persons close to the parent. Um, the matters that relate to mental or emotional issues or, or challenges, there's a lot of that going on now in, in, in public school system under the rubric of social emotional learning. That's a very, it's a pernicious, that is a very pernicious uh, sort of teaching because it assumes that the school is responsible for frankly diagnosing and treating child's uh, social concerns and uh, mental and emotional concerns and that the school ultimately is responsible for a child's mental well-being. So they obviously get to define what, what is normal, what is appropriate, and, and uh, not, not frankly, so unlike what, what we used to see in Soviet Russia, where a, a child who descended from the, the socialist orthodoxy was deemed to have a mental condition. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're, we're certainly headed down that road. We're deviating from uh, the current racial or psychosexual uh, uh, orthodoxies will will lead to a uh, some social worker or, or some school counselor saying that 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 there's a, a problem that needs to be remediated. Uh, and the last category is sexual behavior or attitudes. Um, so, for in in terms of practical application, when in a tenth grade honors English class, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the the students are asked about their sexual preferences or, or what they identify as that that those sort of questions are precisely the thing that this 
uh, People's Rights Amendment, Parents' Rights Amendment are designed to reach. Uh, now, we, we go through, we, we provide examples, for example, called the, the gender bread man, believe it or not. Um, and we have a gender, I'm sorry, gender bread person. Um, and it goes through and it talks about things like gender identity and gender expression and biological sex and how they're not all the same. And <clears throat> Excuse me, they give this, as I said, to, to young children. It's really quite remarkable. That, that sort of teaching absolutely is subject to the, the Parents' Rights Amendment. But the, but the issue, and, 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 and Jim, what you identify is precisely how parents need to advocate for their children. Once you're into the, the system, um, the, the parents' rights are not self-executing. In theory, school districts are supposed to notify parents when they're going to be teaching things for which there is an opt-out right. And they, will, they do that. A lot of times what they'll do is put a form in a kid's backpack or in the first day of school that basically says, hey, we may be teaching about things you can opt out of. Do you want to opt out of? So unless the parent is proactively going through the child's bag and sees this form and understands what it relates to, signs it, has it sent back, and then monitors what the child is uh, uh, being taught, you have, no way of, you have no way of exercising your rights. With respect to instructional materials is the statutory term. It's what the law says you're entitled to see. You have to ask. And you have to make a, you have to go in now in a, in a functional school district, parents should be able to go in and say, hey, I want to watch what goes on in class. Hey, I want to see uh, all the teacher materials. Hey, I understand your teachers are being trained. Who's doing the training? Who's paying for the training? What are they being trained in? Can I see the training materials? And in a functional district where they care about the children and, and they really view themselves as, as stewards working on behalf of, of kids and parents, um, why they would theoretically, they ought to welcome that kind of parent engagement. My mom was a, a public school teacher in the city of Detroit for close to 40 years. And, and you know, she had parents who occasionally, rarely she had parents who were interested in how her kids were doing. She welcomed it because those, those are the children that thrive. And if you care about the children, well, then you want the parents engaged. You want questions asked. You want people interested. But uh, all too often, what's happening now is that the districts and the teachers and the administrators see parents as an obstacle. And so when you start to ask questions, they clam up. What we've noticed is uh, there, there's, there was a, a wave of parents who, who found our, our toolkit and started asking for materials. And the school districts either go silent or they say, oh, no, we can't give them to you unless, unless you're willing to pay us some large amount of money. 400, 500, 600, in one case, close to $5,000. Well, this is a federal, federal law. You don't have to pay for this. But there's no way for a parent to know that. And there aren't a lot of parents uh, who have $5,000 sitting around that they could you know, write a check to, to see the materials their, their children are being taught, especially when they're supposed to be able to see those you know, as a matter of course and for free. So, uh, as I said, our, our toolkit lays out kind of what the problem is, what's covered, um, and what you can do. 
how you go about asking. And then if you don't get the appropriate response, what you do thereafter. And it's here, frankly, that, that we're on um, kind of unplowed ground because the law has been around for 40 years. It's never really been tested. We think we know how this plays out. Um, in theory, the Department of Education is supposed to take a complaint and investigate it and remediate the situation. The odds of them moving at all uh, within a reasonable time frame, 90 days, forget about it, six months, maybe, a year more likely, um, is, is about the best you're gonna get. And, and if there are more than five or seven or 10 complaints in a given period of time, you, you gotta push that time frame out. So now the question is, well, if the department isn't, isn't enforcing in a timely fashion, what do you do? Uh, and, and we're kicking that one around and we think ultimately you might have to sue um, the federal department saying that it's, it's dropping the ball, it's, it's failing to do what it's supposed to do under the law and see what happens. At the local level, there are states, many states have similar kinds of laws. Um, curriculum transparency laws. One of the things we're doing is working with state attorney generals and state legislatures to pass laws that would require school districts public, that are publicly funded, public districts, to put all curriculum material up on, on the internet where anybody can see it anytime they want. And the same would apply to all training materials given to teachers. So that there's absolute transparency and parents can, in the evening, just you hop on the internet and go see what, what's going on in their kids' class. Um, the teacher unions hate this. The principals and superintendents hate this. And uh, those are all powerful constituencies. Teacher unions raise a ton of money uh, and they turn people out. And uh, historically, they've been very effective because school board elections and other things like that are usually very low turnout. Most parents, frankly, just haven't been involved and engaged. That's changing. We're seeing a change right now in Wisconsin uh, in a very big way. And uh, all of a sudden there's money and interest in school board elections because people have woken up. Um, but we think ultimately also the answer is gonna have to be litigation by parents, uh, political pressure on state attorney generals to uh, find out what's going on in, in local districts. Uh, and ultimately, there needs to be a sea change in parental attitudes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard when, you know, if you're lucky, both parents are working. And, uh, you know, the kids are healthy and you don't have any big issues. Um, it's really hard to stay on top of it under those circumstances. Uh, you can only imagine what it's like if you have a special needs child or you have uh, four or five kids and both parents are working, or you have a single parent. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of time. And then the, the, the pressure that they put on parents to be silent is, is very significant. Um, in the rich, highly educated, very, you know, very fancy suburbs of Washington, DC, you have conservative parents who are appalled by what their children are hearing and being taught and being fed. And yet they won't do anything. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid that there will be retaliation against their child 
that the school counselor will get angry. This is what I was told actually by um, uh, one of our one of my fellow political appointees. The, the, the counselor will get angry and then the child will not get into a good college. Therefore, they just sort of, you know, quiet and they say to their child, listen, just don't make waves, keep your mouth shut, do what you gotta do. And, uh, you know, honestly, by my lights, that's no way to live. That's the absolute wrong thing to be teaching your child. Um, particularly when you have other remedies and you have the right to, uh, and you have the right up to opt out most of this. And yet that's where a lot of particularly upper middle class parents are, are at. Uh, for the middle class and, and, and kind of working class folks, a lot of it is just bandwidth for the parents. They can't, they just can't. And for the folks who could, they don't because they're afraid of the, of the blowback from, from the schools. Um, at the next level, you have, as I mentioned, kind of harassment. And we've seen really just horrific cases where parents who speak out against race training or what they call privilege walks, there are schools beginning in the third grade. Um, I saw this was an enforcement case that made its way to my desk uh, in Evanston, Illinois, which is not where Northwestern is. It's, it's uh, again, a very wealthy district. In the third grade, they were making children do privilege walks where they, they arranged them by race and they put the white kids at the back because the white kids had to understand that they benefited from privilege. Third graders are doing this. And a um, parent that spoke out or a teacher that spoke out would be vilified, was vilified. In Austin, Texas, some, some parents showed up at a school board meeting to object to certain kinds of curriculum. Uh, a local uh, activist created a, uh, an anonymous uh, Instagram account and began defaming parents as racist, homophobes, uh, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, People have had uh, their houses vandalized. People have received death threats for speaking out at school board meetings. And um, we've had parents whose employers have been called saying, hey, you know, you're, 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 this person's a bigot. You shouldn't hire them. And uh, frankly, up to now, the parents really haven't had many places to turn. It's very hard to get a law firm to, to take those cases. There's usually not a lot of money involved and, and there's a lot of social pressure not to. Certainly the bigger law firms that provide pro bono services, uh, you know, the same folks who, for example, provided pro bono services to the terrorists in Gitmo would never in a million years represent an American parent. Wouldn't do it. We know, yes. Not all of them, but enough. Um, because it's inappropriate because they don't like their values. In an odd way, it's as if it's as if we are, you know, it's as if we're living in, in you know, 1965 in Alabama, and and, and we're advocating for uh, black kids to be able to, to go to a non-segregated school. You know, though the lawyers who did that suffered a great deal of of, of social pressure and, and backlash. And now, parents who believe in in uh, the biblical idea of of, of male and female, not just the biblical idea, what actually used to be what they taught in science class. Um, well, now apparently that's bigoted. And, and they're coming after, they really are coming after 
the parents and, and, and they're pushing this on the kids. They're really pushing this stuff on the kids. And it begins, you know, it, we saw an email from a, a school counselor about uh, for, for K through K kindergarten and first graders about how they're going to teach them about gender roles. Kindergartners and first graders, they're going to teach them about and being an ally to, to gender fluid people. Yeah, I wish I wish I could say this, you know, that I, I'm being alarmist or that, you know, I'm cherry picking, but I'm not. This is everywhere. This is in Oklahoma. This is in Utah. This is in Montana. It's certainly in, in Wisconsin. It's in Michigan. It's in Illinois. It's in Pennsylvania. It's in Virginia, you know, famously in Loudoun County. It's, it's certainly in Maryland. It's certainly in New York. It's in New Hampshire. It's basically everywhere. And, you know, the good news is the parents cross the country are waking up and are standing up for their kids. The bad news is it's, it's, it, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be a short fight. And, um, you know, we're all going to be in this for the long haul. Uh, but, but, but uh, you know, we've made a start. People are, 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 are pushing back. Um, the Attorney General of the United States uh, issued a memo, you may have heard about that, saying we're gonna sick the FBI on, on parents. Uh, that actually is, that actually memo does exist and that is actually basically what it says. But um, we believe that, that when they issued that memo, all it did was make parents angrier and it may have, it may have resulted in uh, some big changes in the state of Virginia. Um, so the parents are, are waking up uh, and, uh, you know, we're there to help. Other groups are going to be there to help. And I think as, as more and more people stand up, uh, you, you'll see you'll see this movement growing and becoming more effective. So that's the good. That's a, a profound, uh, profoundly sober scenario, one that doesn't surprise us, but it is painful to hear again. I've got a few questions, but I'm going to go to Mario first. After the questions and read, we're going to be going to time of prayer. The people pray into the issue uh, that we've been talking about. So we'll go to a time of prayer just momentarily. Mario, questions from you first. Yeah, just following up on um, the attorney general's re wanting to call parents domestic terrorists. Um, has there been any other movement on that? Have there been uh, FBI um, coming to parents because they wanted they were objecting uh, to what was happening at the school boards? Were there any incidents of FBI targeting of parents? So not that we're aware of, um, and, and, if, and if I can take a minute, just talk about how that came down. Um, we, so America First Legal, um, our, almost all of us were, were, were administration alums who started this. And a couple of us have been at the Department of Justice for extended periods of time. And you make relationships with the careers. And sometimes they provide you information either, even after. Um, when this memorandum was, was issued, it, it was obvious right from the start there was something off about it. And it has to do with some procedures about how, how the department actually works and how memos move through. And you, you have to have been there to understand it. But it was obvious there was something off about this. What that memo was was the result of a political deal or, or a, it was a setup um, by the Biden administration 
right? And I don't mean to get political, but this is what happened. Um, the teacher unions and, um, and, and they found this group, the National Association of School Boards to be a stalking horse. Uh, they wrote a letter uh, to the president. The letter was dated on a Thursday by the following Monday, this, this memo was out on the street. Um, you know, honestly, the Department of Justice didn't move that fast after 9-11, you know, so obviously it was all cooked and, and, and baked. Um, and it led to quite an outcry and, and, and we were very lucky to be able to, to be able to play a role in sort of shining a light on what happened and Congress got involved and, uh, and the FBI began walking backwards saying we're not coming after parents. But that was never the point. It was, the idea was to chill parents, to make them afraid. As you may recall, um, during 2021, there was a lot of talk about misinformation and disinformation and what the government was going to do uh, to deal with civil disobedience more generally inside the United States. Uh, that they're serious about, but, but the idea of, you know, part of what you do when you, when you publicize things, when you're in the, in the government is you try and affect behavior just by threatening. So the thought was that if they threatened this, it would chill parents and it would, it would scare them. Uh, and, and I think all it did backfired on them. I think all it did was make parents angrier. But we haven't seen any, any issues. And, and, and if there were, I, I, I would expect the, the backlash to be quite fierce. Um, the, this uh, push on LBGT by the, by the schools, school board, et cetera, tra trans uh, yeah. uh, gender issues, um, certainly predated uh, the Biden administration. They, they have, they've advanced to where they're at today quite a bit, and now they're accelerating their push towards this end. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of hard to understand how what historically had been viewed as, as a, um, a, a kind of a marker of, of, of some, you know, serious disturbance in a human being has become the, the civil rights issue of our time. You know, my hypothesis for whatever it's worth is that it really has nothing to do with the poor people who get sucked into this thing. It, it's about, it's about for, you know, it's about the ability to control what people think and how they act because, you know, the, 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 for better or for worse, your, 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 your sex, whether you're male or female, is perhaps the most basic and most defining characteristic of a human being. Certainly, that's what I was taught back in the, in, in, you know, the Stone Age in the late 70s, and that biology drives a lot of things. And all of a sudden now, that's, that's being erased. And my hypothesis is that at some level, they believe if they can, if they can get you to say that, that, that a man is a woman and a woman is a man, they can, they can get you to deny the most fundamental aspect of, of one of the most fundamental aspects of, of, of human existence. Despite what your eyes tell you, they can get you to say or believe anything. And so, um, you know, I, I really don't think it has much to do with the, 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 the people, some of whom have, you know, a small number of which have some genuine issues that they really don't care about them. It's about power and control. So yeah, they're ramping it up. At the same time, they're ramping up a series of other measures. Um, it, it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jim, back to you. 
Reed, you're probably not aware, but we've uh, we've had uh, maybe a six weeks or two months ago. I'm not sure. We had a team of people on, and and uh, we advocated strongly. We've come to a point where uh, exodus of the public school is vitally important. I, I stayed with the public school system as long as I could, and finally realized I, I could not, and frankly, anymore. So we strongly encourage people when they can get out of it uh, because it is so corrupted beyond what any of us imagined. I want to give one clarification. When he used the word, just so everyone knows, he talked about political appointees in every department of the major, like Department of Education, Department of Treasury, et cetera, in DC. In case you're not familiar with that phrasing, the political appointee is appointed by whoever's president. Career bureaucrats stay no matter what. And in a city that is 96% committed to one party, the vote is something like 96% to 4% within DC. I, th I think the numbers are something like that. You can imagine an entire department doesn't change. So like when a, when Trump came in, for example, all the political appointees that were still there, I'm sorry, all the career bureaucrats that were still there, uh, continued right on working against him with the values of other administrations. Only well, the political, uh, political yes. appointees are the ones that are appointed by that president. And it is a war in every department. It is, it is staggering. We don't need to park there, but Reed, I wanted people to understand how difficult it is for even a, a presidential candidate with good values, biblical values, who does his appointments. He's coming against this massive group of people who cannot be fired. I don't know if you want to say more about that one, but so the, the career bureaucrats are who run DC to a major event. And that's the, that's the, 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 the problem. One more clarification point. Uh, there's many good, wonderful teachers. I know many wonderful public school teachers. Love them, appreciate, honor them. There are some bad ones. There are some good ones. But the teachers' union is inherently evil almost every place I've ever gone. It is horrific. It, 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 it is tragic. I have this question. If you want to comment about any of those things, you can. But I have this question, when you said it's not tested, when I hear that the law is not tested, I think, oh, it hasn't been tested in court. You're actually saying something different. It's not tested in the sense that since it hasn't been followed since... It's foundation point, either in the Reagan administration or even before that, 1974, whenever the year came, whenever the law came to be, uh, it, it has not been tested in a sense that nobody's filed and hadn't been followed through. So in that sense, it's not tested. And a, a part of the question with that, there's a number of organizations that do pro bono work. I don't know anything about the nature of America First Legal, whether it's a 501c3, what it is, 501c, whatever. Um, do you are, are, are you in a posture to do pro bono, pro, pro bono work for parents or, or, or is that not within the scope of, of what America First Legal? No, that's that's all we do. We all of our legal services are provided at no charge to our clients. Oh, OK, so so people could contact you if they're not getting a, if, if they if they're working the system and trying to go through this and it's sitting on somebody's desk for a year, uh, it'd be better for them to contact your offices. Yes. Um, that's, that's what we're here for. That's, that's why we were founded. One of the, one, one of the justifications for the creation of yet another 501c3 organization. Um, and, and the reason that, that certainly I joined them and that, that, uh, Stephen Miller's involved and, uh, frankly, all of us, um, is because we're, we're a little different cat than, than most of the other conservative legal groups out there. We take on issues that they historically have not. Uh, we approach them in a, in a rather different way, much more like a private law firm, um, which is to say we're, we tend to be reasonably aggressive. And um, 
we tend to be very focused on, on winning the case for our clients more so than trying to you know, necessarily affect what the Supreme Court does. You know, it's it's a different it's it's a different approach. They're both important. You need both, but but we're fighters. We we are you know we see our job right now right now at this moment in time uh, is standing up with people who are trying to protect their kids, or and trying to push back on uh, a whole host of other initiatives, which I'm happy to talk about. You know that 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 threaten kind of biblical values. We've been very out front. You know, for example, on the life issue, we've taken positions that none of the other conservative legal movement had ever had ever taken. We were there with Texas. We we've been there. You know, we're standing there and we're fighting with them because all too often people feel like there's nobody there, and, and it's really hard to stick your head above the trench line when you know you're all about all all by yourself. So we're there to try. We can't be everywhere. We're still a small group. We're, we're just, as I said, a year old, but we're, we're trying very, very hard to, to, to create conditions under which people feel like there will be there will be somebody standing with them as they take on these these, frankly, existential issues. I want to encourage you as parents or grandparents, if your grandparent coach, your, 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 your daughter or son, how, when they function in, in, in going to meet with the teachers or such. Uh, I'm going to give an illustration. It's a private illustration, but I'm going to make it public now. I think I've shared it perhaps once before, but uh, one of my children uh, was classified as special needs and needed what we call in our state uh, uh, non-public placement. That was the language for it, California. California has one good, good law among all its failures. And that was one. They provide some good education, but uh, for, for special needs kids. But here's the challenge. Uh, the school would fight it. And they fight it because they did not want the funds going to those special needs children. And so they would do all kinds of things. So parents would have to hire advocates. A advocates is a fancy word for an attorney to try to get with that special needs child. There was a legal, there was a law, there was a legal right for them going, but the school would say, oh no, they invent all these reasons. So I went in with a stack of files that, that, was, that was almost a foot high, opened up and I stacked them one at a time. The principal and a couple other authorities were there. I stacked up. I said, this is what the investigation I've done to help my child in learning. I take them to this specialist, this specialist, this specialist. Just kept stacking it on up. And I said, before I, before I start going through these, I want to tell you something. When I get to the end and I ask for non-public placement, I don't want any of you to come against me because you have to stand with my child. You care for my child. You love my child. You've been a good educator here for that child, but you cannot provide for the needs of my child. And you know it, you've admitted that. So I need you on my team. Don't fight against me. I need you on my team for the sake of my child. When I get to the end of this and I call for the word non-public placement. And one of them said, we will do that. We'll stand with you for your child. Now the principal didn't say that. You can tell the principal was visually agitated that somebody had already committed, but that's all the committed I needed. needed. I ran with that. I went through, I said, thank you. In the beginning, you said you stand with me. I expect that. Thank you for doing that. Now let's go forward with the paperwork to get this done. I'm only telling you that story is because if you don't stand for your child, who's going to? And you need to be firm and you need to be straightforward. And some of you need to be seeking out the help of this group. America First is AF, aflegal.org. And their website is just superb. And the toolkit I was impressed with and it's very disappointing to me that people do not know about the law from 1974 or whenever it was. They do not know about that law. And it's interesting, the phrasing of the law, Reed, is the uh, 
uh, protection of pupils' rights amendment. It's really, as you said, uh, you alluded, it's a protection of parents' rights amendment here at its core. What things do you want to respond to either the package I said, or we're going to prayer here in a moment, or just some final thoughts that you have. I so appreciate what you've shared. We thank God for who you are and what you're doing. And we want to be a cheerleader to your organization and get the word out. But what final thoughts do you have before we go to a time time of prayer? Well, well, I first thank you again for having me. Um, and, and thank you for listening to me. And thank you for paying attention to this issue. Uh, and, and, and your prayers are uh, needed and appreciated and helpful. Um, we need you to stay engaged. We need your members to stay engaged. We need you to support parents uh, as, as they go to try and, and honestly take back our schools. Um, this, is, this is not easy stuff that we've been talking about. And it's hard on the kids, it's hard on the parents. But uh, if you go look at our toolkit, you'll, you'll get just a tiny taste of what's being fed to them. Uh, and if you spend a few minutes on the internet, you know, reading about uh, what whistleblowers have, have put out there about documents that, that you know, teachers use and about um, how, how many of our teachers view our parents and, 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 and you, you'll see that this is really, as I characterized it earlier, an existential struggle uh, and it's one we can't lose. And not everybody can take their child out of a public school, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you, Jim. If, 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 if we could do it and, and there was somebody who would take, you know, if Elon Musk would take $5 billion and, and create a network of schools, that would be one thing. But nobody's doing that. Uh, and private schools, you know, I mean, I sent my kids to parochial school. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to pay the tuition. Not everybody can. And, you know, sometimes public schools have the ability to provide services that, that people need. And, you know, we can't leave those kids behind. So um, we need you. We need you engaged. We need you talking to your kids and your grandkids. Uh, and, and we need you to pay attention to these things. And we may need some of you to run for school board. I know we're not supposed to be political, but but it requires engagement. Pay attention. Um, this is this is we've got to get this right. This is this is where it's got to stop. This is where the flag goes in the ground, in my view. Uh, and this is this is where we got to rally. And so, uh, God bless you all for what you're doing. Um, we'll be there for you, and we'll be there with you. And uh, I look forward to working with you on this, and and hopefully other things. Well, thank you so much. And by the way, you weren't the least bit political when you encourage people to run for office. You're being biblical. And in fact, uh, my buddy David Lane's today sent the 80,000 pastors. I've been getting responses on my cell phone while we've been on this interview. Uh, he sent out my little four minute uh, clip where I said in a gathering, I'm not political. I'm biblical. You just all don't recognize biblical anymore. And, uh, and so <laughs> that went out today and I'm getting responses on um, you, you, we encouraged about a month ago, we had a special session. You would know this read on why people need to run for office and school board is of course a foundational level uh, of doing exactly that. And I hope some of the people listening right now will, will run for office. Reed, you wouldn't know that before every prayer call, 
uh, for one hour, a group of intercessors, that's prayer people, come on and they pray for that call and they pray for you, whoever's going to be the guest. So you've been prayed for by a group of people uh, for one very proactive hour. This is a private group. Then we go on the air. Then we go back into a time, a season of prayer. Your schedule is tough. And so if you have to get off, we totally respect that. There's no pressure for you to remain on, but you're welcome, more than welcome to remain on if you can, because we're going to be praying a blessing over you, over America First Legal, and be praying for, uh, praying for the children and the parents across America in the crisis situation we find ourselves in. So a heartfelt thank you to you, Reed Rubenstein, for being on from America First Legal, uh, americafirstlegal.org. And you can check the toolkit out there. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.